You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. God, I pray that you would exalt yourself through the word today. Draw us closer to you um, and see what you would have us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Love the Christmas pageant this morning and getting to see kids interact with the story themselves. I got to stand in the back and saw the kids like taking their (laughs) costumes on and off and uh, just kind of fidgeting, but also stroking the sheep. And it's just very cute to see see them connecting with the story. Um, Today we're talking about the Christmas story as well, and I hope that we can see ourselves in it a little bit. did y'all ever read or see the best Christmas pageant ever? Um, I grew up on the 1984 film and loved Gladys Herdman, who was the youngest of the rowdy family who comes in and they basically take over the Christmas pageant in this very uh, traditional church, which loved their high performance of, you know, the, the prim and proper version of the story and the raggedy family comes in, takes all the major parts, and all the families are pretty concerned that they're going to ruin it. But it ends up being a really beautiful picture of the fact that Jesus came for everyone, even those on the outskirts, um, and those who are not necessarily all dressed up and popular and running the show. Um, And I love at the very end, Gladys, the youngest, is chasing her siblings through the through the street, she got to be the angel of the Lord, um, and she holds up the star, and she says, Hey, hey, unto you a child is born. And when I hear the story and I hear the angel say that, I just think of this child proclaiming the word, and I think it really focuses on what I want to look at today. Who did Jesus come for? To whom did Jesus come? Um, he came for uh, and to a young girl, to workers in the field and the people on the outskirts, and he came for the whole world. Um, so we're going to pick up this story in Luke 1.26. I wanted to have scripture on the screen and did not make that happen. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke 1. We immediately find ourselves in the middle of a narrative. And it says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. And so we've got to have some backstory on who was Elizabeth. This woman was married to Zechariah, who served as a priest. And Luke 1.6 says, both of them were righteous in the sight of God. Elizabeth was also barren. And her childlessness could have caused her or others to wonder if they were considered righteous. Because in that day, the blessing of children was understood as a sign of one's faithfulness to God. And one day when Zechariah was chosen by Lot to minister before the Lord in the temple, an angel appeared to him there. And he told him, your prayer has been heard and your wife is going to bear a son. The son should be named John and he would be a prophet like Elijah to prepare the people for the Lord. And Zechariah was really having a difficult time accepting that this could be the case uh, because they were, he and Elizabeth were both well along in years. So he said, how can I be sure of this? And the angel of the Lord said, there will be a sign to you that I am sent from God, and this is going to happen. The sign was that Zechariah would be unable to speak until the baby was born. And that's exactly what happened. 
he was unable to speak when he exited the temple and his wife Elizabeth became pregnant. And that's the Elizabeth that we find in Luke 1.26, a woman who lived in Judea and became pregnant in her old age after the announcement of an angel. So in Luke 1, we find, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. There are already several characters here. Um, Elizabeth, who we just heard about, God, and the angel. God is an acting agent in this story from the very beginning. And we know that, obviously. The first words of the Bible show God creating, acting in the world, and time and space. This is another iteration of his constant work to bring about his purpose for the world here in space and time. Here we specifically see him sending the angel Gabriel to earth. I find it really interesting that angels appear so heavily around Jesus' birth. We also see angels a lot in Joshua and the prophets um, around Jesus' temptation and resurrection and then the apocalyptic writings of Daniel and Ezekiel and Revelation. We see them a lot in God's presence as ministers and as God's messengers. And heavenly beings were visibly involved in the coming of God to earth. This is another era in salvation history, and it's marked by many heavenly signs. So in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. So who was Joseph? We immediately know he was a descendant of David, and many people were, so that didn't exactly make him super special. But it did signal to Luke's contemporary readers that he was in the Messianic line. He was in the family through which the Messiah was promised to come. And we get a little more insight into Joseph in Matthew's account of the birth of Jesus, like we heard in the nave today, uh, Matthew 1, 18 through 25. Joseph and Mary were engaged, as we would say, but the wedding hadn't happened yet. So in their custom, this was a commitment. They were um, husband and wife, essentially, before the wedding. Joseph was faithful to the law, was an honorable man who wanted to do right by Mary, And he had several of his own encounters with angels in his dreams during this time. And we see him continually respond in obedience to the word from the Lord. And we also know from Matthew 13, 35, that Joseph was a carpenter. So a working man in Nazareth, descendant of David. Um, Very normal guy, but he obeyed at cost. And all he had to go off of was the word of the Lord. Um... So Mary, in some ways, we don't know much about her either. We know she was a young, unmarried, engaged woman, engaged to Joseph the carpenter, and she lived in Nazareth in Galilee. Nazareth was a small town um, just above a valley between the Sea of Galilee and the Mediterranean Sea. Not particularly popular or notable. It wasn't on a main highway. more agricultural, not much to say or report about Nazareth, actually. We know Mary was Jewish and had an understanding of God's word and work in the world. And her song, which we'll look at later, is full of theology. So we we know that she has an understanding of who God is. Um, She knows scripture, um, probably grew up in that in her life. 
we know she believed God and accepted his call on her life. Um, so let's look at her conversation with the angel Gabriel, which just a conversation with the angel. Very, <laughs> no big deal. Um, Luke 1, 28 through 31. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this was. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. Pause. I really can't get over this. He comes in and says, Greetings, grace to you. You're blessed of the Lord. And she has to be like, okay, thanks. Good to see you. I'm not really sure what's going on. Um, and he says, don't be afraid. You're going to have a baby, and he's the Messiah. Not afraid. <laughs> be not afraid. How do, how do I not be afraid? That doesn't sound like a small thing. Um, only changes her life in so many ways. How, how am I supposed to be okay with this, chill about this? Well, because the coming and presence of God is good. It's one that brings peace. And the favor of God is lasting and supersedes so many other forces in life. Mary could be not afraid because God was with her and would remain so. Now, the coming of God does not allow things to remain the same. It was about to get real hard. And really, it would be hard for the rest of her life. Simeon, in the temple when Mary and Joseph took Jesus to be dedicated, prophesied that a sword would pierce Mary's soul in Luke 2.35. Gabriel wasn't convincing Mary to deny what was overwhelming and intimidating and hard, but he brought word of the character of this Savior and promised the presence of the Most High with her, and that was her hope. So Luke 1, 31 through 33, the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you're to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Gabriel brought the word that the one who has been promised from the beginning is coming, and he will be born of Mary. Salvation was in his nature and purpose. The name Jesus means the Lord saves. And this proclamation by the angel brings to mind Psalm 110 and God's covenant with David. From David's descendants would come a righteous priestly king who would rule over the earth. It even speaks to the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham and Genesis 3.15. Through this coming one would the whole earth be blessed and the serpent's head be crushed. Then in the next verse in Luke 1, how will this be, Mary Angel, asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Mary did have to wrestle with how this was all going to come about. There's nothing wrong with wrestling. What the angel said would happen quite literally was impossible at that time. And yet she believed in faith and received what the Lord was giving her. 
Unlike Zechariah, who said, how can I be sure? Mary said, how can this happen? She didn't ask for a sign or reassurance or reject the angel's word could be true. She was saying, let me get this straight. I have a lot of sympathy for that. The Lord graciously does give her some explanation through the angel. He says, the Holy Spirit will come on you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. The Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. She would carry the Son of God by the Holy Spirit's action. And that in no way could answer all the questions about the coming days. But he did promise God's agency in bringing this about. And she accepted it. Scripture is clear that the baby Mary carried was the offspring of God. And then the angel did give Mary a sign through Elizabeth. I think it is so kind of God to work in Mary and Elizabeth at the same time. Um, God gave Mary a sign that her conception by the Holy Spirit could and would truly happen by another unlikely conception in her relative. Everyone thought Elizabeth was too old to have a baby, but Gabriel announced she was in her sixth month. The obvious difference here is that Elizabeth was married, but they shared the experience of an angel-heralded pregnancy. And so Mary ran to Elizabeth as fast as she could, and there the Holy Spirit confirmed the angel's word to her through Elizabeth and baby John, who leapt in Elizabeth's womb when she heard Mary's greeting. God was coming. A new age of working in the world was beginning, and it was being born in these women. You know Mary needed that confirmation. As a result of her obedience, society would shame her. Rarely would anyone believe her story. How often do we experience shame from the world when we follow the call of God? Maybe it's belief in the gospel, worshiping a crucified king. Maybe it's vocational, work you believe you were called to when you could have done something else with a higher status, staying at home as a parent, ministry, a nonprofit work, teaching, being a creative. Maybe it's some, how you steward your money and give generously instead of using it all for your own gain. In these things, what is our comfort? What is our security and anchor? How could Mary do it? By continuing to believe the word, the Lord, which came to her, and living in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, society might have nothing but shame, but the Spirit is greater and God's presence is better. It's eternal. And it's the power of the Most High. Praise God that through the man born of this woman, you and I can live in the peace and the presence of God right now on this earth. It's a new day which comes at his birth. So Mary got to prepare for the coming of her baby with Elizabeth. The baby came. They named him John. Zechariah's speech returned when he said, no, we will name him John, even though it's not a family name. And Zechariah prophesied um, to just wrap up the end of Luke chapter 1. So now let's look at Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their town to register. So here's another player in the story. This is a specific time in history with real people affected by their government. Caesar Augustus was the leader of the Roman Empire 
which inhabited Palestine and was ruling over the people of Israel. This was by no means a gracious rule or peaceful relationship between Israel and Rome. And in that time, in that unstable government relationship, we see a decree that caused many people in Israel to travel to the towns of their ancestors to be registered. For Joseph and Mary, who were descendants of David, this meant going to Bethlehem, the city of David. But what's the significance of the house of David? Remember, David is the second king of Israel. He belonged to the tribe of Judah, which was blessed by Jacob as the ruling tribe in Genesis 49. God made a covenant with David in 2 Samuel 7 that his descendants would rule on the throne before God forever. And the people of Israel knew that the Messiah, this promised ruler and savior, would come from the line of David. The angel spoke to Mary that the child she would bear would be this promised eternal ruler. But it's also promised that this ruler would come from Bethlehem, David's hometown. Micah 5.2 is one we hear a lot in the Advent season. It says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you're small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Bethlehem was obviously not the big hitter, not the star city like Jerusalem with the temple. But this is, this is the town that God said the Messiah will come from this town. So Joseph and Mary go there. Luke 2, 4 and 5 says, Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. It's probably an 80-mile journey for then. Then in verses 6 through 7, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Shock of the century. I'd, I know, I've known this story forever, but even now when I read this, I feel surprised when it says she laid her baby in a manger. It's a marvel that God came to earth incarnate as a human, embodied in his own creation. And when he did, he was an infant baby laid in an animal's feeding trough. This is how God came to earth in the most humble of circumstances. We can wonder endlessly at the details. Were there animals there with them? Were there other people? Did Mary and Joseph have anyone to help during delivery? How did all this happen? All we know is that the couple traveled to Bethlehem together and Mary gave birth while they were staying there. The accessible place for them to stay at this time was a place where animals fed. We know it couldn't have been pretty. There were no brand new pajamas for mom. They were in a strange city and not even in a human living place. Do any of us even know this depth of humility? The romanticized version might depict a really crotchety innkeeper rejecting the couple while Mary's actively in labor on their arrival to town. We don't know the timeline. However, Bethlehem was a small town, well off the highway, which likely did not have proper inns like we see talked about in other parts of the gospel. Yet Mary and Joseph were the, not the only travelers to their family home in order to be registered. And so the city was full, and likely travelers would stay in a guest room of a family member or community connection. And verse 7 says there was no place for them in the guest room. So while they were there, 
they end up in the place where the animals stayed, and that's where she had her baby. Um, Throughout this account, we see details that are not glamorous, and they would not make for a good origin story for a hero or a mighty royal man. If someone were to fabricate a legend um, to dupe the masses or tell a story of a powerful god that should be worshipped, how might his power and royalty be confirmed? What would the evidence be? Certainly it would not be from a pregnancy that appeared to the community as illegitimate. It would not be from common parentage to working class people from a small village. He would not come in the lowly corner of a small town that wasn't even a proper bedroom for humans, only animals. These details are not ones that obviously bring honor to the characters in this story. These details are included in this story because this is how it happened. And as Luke seeks to write an orderly account, he writes the facts as they came about. And if someone was fabricating a story about the birth of a god, which characters would hear the royal proclamation first? Marginal field workers, right? Those on the night shift? God chose to indwell the womb of a common young woman and then be born and laid in a manger. And the first people told were the shepherds in the fields that night. Look at verse 8. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. The shepherds are one of my favorite parts of this account. They were the most ordinary, common people, and they were on the outskirts of town. Even if news had started to spread in town, would it have ever reached them? God made sure the ones on the outside were not forgotten. The Savior was born to you, the angel said. Shepherding was a lowly position in society and potentially very lonely. Shepherds lived in the fields tending their sheep, and they lived apart from community. These were the workers of the fields, not the ruling class of the city. They were common people, easily left out with no particular honor. Who are these people in our society? Which class of people, which vocation might be the last informed of an occurrence among the important people because no one thought to tell them? Who are the people in our cities or on the outskirts who keep tasks we see as menial or dirty, the jobs we don't exactly want for our children, the ones which, after you notice it, make you say, man, that'd be a hard life. Friends of mine worked in the refugee community in Chicago, and they would often help their clients find jobs working as janitors in the airport overnight. It was a job someone could work alone and did not need excellent English language skills for. And in reality, it was hard, thankless, and lonely, really invisible. That makes me think of the shepherds, the ones in the fields at night. These are the ones the angel of the Lord appeared to that night. This is the third announcement by an angel of the coming of God in this account in Luke 1 and 2. 
And this time, the news comes to the community. So look at verse 9. The angel appeared, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. This is the glory that Moses beheld when God passed by him in the cleft of the mountain in Exodus 33 and 34. This is the glory that dwelt in the temple in the Old Testament, and which Ezekiel saw depart from the temple and the city when Israel went into exile in Ezekiel 10. And here the glory of the Lord returns to the shepherds in the field a couple miles from where the Son of God was born and lying in a manger. The glory of the Lord was evidently no small thing. The shepherds were terrified. I can't imagine the brightness and power of what they were seeing. Glory is a good word. And that glory, the very nature of God, became incarnate as a human so that we might see God, see God's design for human life, and in him be reconciled to God. So note what the angel says to the shepherds in verse 10. Do not be afraid. Why? Because I bring news that will bring great joy for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. The good news is that the Savior has been born to you. To you, shepherds. To you, ordinary people. To you, working people on the outskirts. The one for whom only an angelic choir is sufficient to herald the news of his birth. That one has come to you today. The promised one and the Lord of the universe has come to save you. The personal message to this group tells us so much about why God came like this. He became a human to save people. As a fulfillment of the promises, a savior came today. He is the one who will bring peace between God and humanity, and he will do that by his own body. Philippians 2, 6 through 8 says, Christ Jesus, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Then the angel affirmed that this Savior, who was born to them, by encouraging them to go see him and give them, he gave them a sign to confirm the angel's words. You'll find this baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. This one is not laid in a castle in a royal gown. He's lying in a manger in a normal, customary baby swaddle. And then suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Heaven celebrated God's greatness in bringing about redemption to the groaning earth. And the shepherds believed the angel and immediately went to Bethlehem to find the Savior who had been born to them that day. They found him and Mary and Joseph, and he was lying in a manger just like the angel had said he would be. And then they told everyone they met. They knew the Savior had come for all people, for he had come to them. Verses 17 and 18 say, When they'd seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. So as we marvel at the characters in this story, and the way in which God came to earth then. How do we connect to the story today? In the same way that God came to barren Elizabeth, 
to ordinary teenager Mary and her ordinary fiancé Joseph, to the common shepherds in the field, he came to us. None of these people performed to earn God's involvement in their lives. None of them carried shame that counted them out from participating in God's story. None of them were too insignificant. They each received. They believed his word and received his action. The angel said this good news will cause great joy for all Israel. And he came for the um, called great joy for all the people. God came for all the people. And he came for all Israel and he came for the Gentiles. He came for the contemporaries of that day and for all time. Because of his goodness, he came for us. Would we accept this reality and spread the news? How great is our God? Behold his goodness, evidenced in this story of Jesus Christ's birth on earth. Faithful to his promises to send a deliverer to his people, one who would be the king of kings and prince of peace. Isaiah 9, 6, Isaiah 7, 14, Micah 5, 2. These, these prophecies we have talked about all month, really. God was faithful to bring that about, to bring a savior for all people, giving himself for the life of the world. I think Mary's song is such an apt response. After Elizabeth and Mary see each other while they're both pregnant, Mary sings this in Luke 1, 46 through 55. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. This is what God has done through his coming as a savior to you. Let us rejoice in our faithful God, the mighty one who humbled himself on our behalf. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.